Well, actually, today's lesson is entitled, We, the Modern-Day modern Pharisees. I want to assure all of you that, hold on, let me get my time here. I've got 50 minutes, is that right? Woohoo! Well, I done messed it up. There you go. I want to assure each and every one of you that I do not have an axe here to grind. In fact, uh, currently in my life, I'm, I have a wonderful family, a wonderful church, the best job as you can imagine, working for my wife. And I, in fact, <laughs> so I, I do not have any uh, bitterness or hate on my heart. But if, if nothing else, and I, I do come off strong, that's how I'm wired. I'm a, I'm a number one finger guy. Um, but... I see a problem amongst especially the, uh, the remnant Israel people, and I have a heart that I, I want them to, to have a piece of what I have, maybe. And I, I believe that Jesus Christ is definitely the course, that, that right relationship with Christ here on earth. When we're saved, now what? And I'm, I, I'm coming from that perspective. Now that we're saved, now what? And there's a lot of division. <laughs> And, every, and I'm sure all of you have heard a sermon or two or three or ten on unity. Yeah. And I can sum all the sermons that I've heard into two unity idea categories. One, unify my way. Yeah. What I believe, you follow me and we'll all be unified. It's not going to work. And the other one is, everyone turn a blind eye to everybody's belief system and we'll all get along. So everybody is right and nobody's wrong but nobody has the same belief. That's not gonna work either. Unity, whether you use the comparison of military, I've heard that, comparison of sports, all that's very temporary. Military, the, the, a military unit is not in unity the moment they step off the battlefield. They don't go to the same church, they don't believe the same way. They are not unified. But on the battlefield they are, because they rally around one thing. And the key for the church to be unified is that we must all rally around one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you that are glassing over in your eyes, saying, well, duh, that's what we do. It's not working. Well, it's not working because we have lost our respect for who Christ is. And so today I want to talk a little bit about that. In my opening verse is in 1 John chapter 2, if you want to turn there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is, our, is the propitiation of our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Not for that little local group, but Israel all over the world. And hereby, we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. 
He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. I would like to put this in perspective with a story. Back in the day, I was a pipe welder, and I've been on many, many job sites. When I walk onto a job site and I tell those who are hiring, I'm a pipe welder. I'm the best that's ever been. Well, probably not. But I did have a saying. There's probably better out there. I've just never met them. I can talk the lingo. I can tell them stories. I even maybe have pictures. Are they going to hire me on that alone? No. They require something from me. They want to test. See, they want to know that I actually know welding. Not good enough that I know how to talk about it. They want to know that I, am, that I know about the laws that are required with welding. Now, there's laws that are required with welding. Now, an ignorant welder, an uneducated welder will say, well, a welder, they defy the laws of physics. But that's actually just, that's very ignorant. The truth is, a good welder knows the laws of physics, such as uh, surface tension, gravity, and many others, these things play a role in making everything work out. And if you ignore them or make an attempt to defy them, you will have a very miserable day. So I have to take a test. And, that, and, the, and the test is a, is a piece of pipe that's on a 45-degree angle. So the one side's real easy. If you're left-handed or right-handed, doesn't matter. You're going to have one side that's real easy. But that's not good enough for them. That's a reason that they have that particular test. They want to know how well you know the laws of welding. They want to know how well you know welding that they give you a hard side that you have to use your hand that you're not familiar with. I believe that's what these verses are saying. It's not good enough that we walk the talk or have a talk. It's not good enough that we know a verse or two or pray even the whole Bible. God says, to know me, to claim that you have a relationship with Jesus, like I would claim to have a relationship with the welding, I have to apply the law. I have to use it. I have to become familiar with it on a daily basis. Now, with the Pharisees, we, the modern-day Pharisees, the Pharisees had one basic goal, and that is to take Jesus, the anointed, and turn him into something in the public's eye, turn him into something different than he was. Because he, he threatened their way of life. It's really that simple. It was no re- religious conviction that the Pharisees, at least there were some good Pharisees, but the ones that Jesus speaks of in a negative way. It was all about, they just didn't want to change the way things were going with them. We are doing the same thing. We are disrespecting, dare I say even blaspheming, the reputation of Jesus Christ 
for our own agenda, our own sin. That's what it is. We have a sin in our lives that maybe isn't as bad as murdering, but I really like it. And I'm sick and tired of all these legalists coming along saying, hey, it says here in the Bible you shouldn't do that. And they're like, I've got to figure out a way around this. So they're changing who Jesus is by through scripture so that they can have that sin in their lives. And then that opens them up to a whole bunch of wacky tobacco theology. Because we're not, we're not rallying around the same Jesus. Well, definitely not. And here's what I think. It's not even about rallying around the same Jesus. It's having the right heart condition. I can keep, and Jesus, he spoke of this. I can keep the law. I'm not committing adultery by not literally going out and committing adultery. But that's not all that Jesus, he wants that. And if that's all you've got for now, that's a good place to start. But in the end, Jesus wants more. He wants you to have a heart that doesn't want to commit adultery. Does that make sense? And thus he says that it's not good enough that you don't do it. But what you do with your eyes is just as bad. Because that, what you do with your eyes, no one can put you in prison for that. Can't be stoned even in the days of the Old Testament for what you did with your eyes. But he wants that. He wants you to say, oh, I'm not looking that direction. <clears throat> we have reduced Jesus, some of us, maybe no one here. Maybe this lesson isn't for anyone here. And I'm going to preach it anyways, because I'm going to get something out of it. Yeah. Honey, you're going to get something out of it, right? <laughs> oh. We've reduced Jesus to a drunk and a partier. Jesus changed water into wine. That's my kind of guy. That's so disrespectful. That, all, that angers me when I have those conversations. It, it makes the way I, I really am ineffective to properly witness in this area because I, I just can't take it. I have to walk away. But that's what we're doing. See, I'm not talking about alcohol today, but I'm going to lay it out pretty simple. Make it really easy for you. 90% of scripture is against drinking. And then we got a few verses over here that, that, that may or may not be for or against it. So we're going to wipe away the 90% and we're going to hang out on these verses. We're not really sure what they mean, but it looks like it's, it's working in my favor to drink. And I love Jesus. You don't. First say you're a liar. See, we, have the, we don't have an attitude, we don't have a heart that says, I want to obey. Because I'm trying to figure out how to get out of it. Just like the Pharisees. Why are we trying to figure out how to get out of it? There is nothing, you're not defending righteousness by defending drinking. There's just no two ways to put it. Well, and by the way, there is a verse in the Bible. Scripture says, but it won't do any good because, I, because the scripture over here says, well, we're, we're, we're allowed to drink. The scripture said, don't even look at it. That's not good enough for you. Why? Same way with other theologies. Why isn't this scripture good enough for you? Because I really don't have a heart that wants to obey Christ. I have a heart that wants to do what I want. And when it lines up with Jesus time to time, I go with it. We have reduced Jesus to a Sabbath breaker. I had a conversation with two 
individuals. They were so camped out on the idea that going to church on Sunday is biblical. Now, I, I want to make sure everyone understands, I don't have a problem with going to church on Sunday. But it's not biblical. Sorry. You're going to stand with Scripture. It is what it is. It's not biblical. Nothing wrong with it. But we're commanded to keep the Sabbath. Not a Sabbath, the Sabbath. You can figure that out on your own. But these men were so disrespectful, and I'm sure they're not alone. They can't be alone. There were two of them. They They didn't live next to each other. But it was so important that they didn't have to change their life. That they didn't have to be intellectually challenged. That they were going to turn Jesus into a sinner. It didn't even dawn on them that, oh, wait a minute, he's my perfect sacrifice. What have I done to that? That didn't matter. Only thing that mattered is, I go to church on Sunday and that's what God wants me to do. Not in the scripture he doesn't. We've turned Jesus into a sinner or a lover of sinners, a lover of sin, and sin tolerant. He is not a lover of sinners. He is not a lover of sin. He is a lover of repenters. And repenters obviously have some sin. So when you see those stories in Scripture where Jesus is hanging out with the prostitutes and he's hanging out with the publicans and all these different people that everyone says, oh, those sinners. He loved them because they loved him. They recognized their problem and they, were, they sought him and helped me to be different. Jesus loved that. Oh, he loved that. Because they weren't going to stay prostitutes. That's what he loved, not the sin. But yet we've reduced Jesus to a, to a lover of sin so that I can do it. Well, Jesus is not going to judge me over this. It's just pork. I mean, everyone else is eating it. I'm picking small ones, guys. I can pick her big ones. I'm picking small ones to bring this into the fright focus. We, let, we, we, we are willing to change and disrespect our Lord and Savior for a piece of bacon. We've turned Jesus into a salvation option. Because everything else in this world seems more important. Jesus has to be the option. Well, if it doesn't work out with Jesus, then I can just do my time in hell, and then I can head up to heaven later. That's that, that, these are doctrines. The only reason that someone would walk down that road is because they have no respect for Christ. We have whittled Christ into our buddy. Jesus said he was our friend. But he's not like your friend down the street. He's God. And we need to start treating him like that. Scripture says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him. Set him on the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, 
except ye be converted and become as a little ch- as little children ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven whosoever therefore shall humble himself humble himself as this little child the same is the greatest in the kingdom of of heaven this is what it requires us to do now children they have plenty of sin nature no, that's not, I don't think Jesus is saying you have to be like a child and be sinless. Children aren't sinless. But children have some really good attributes. And one of them is they're willing to learn. They don't have agendas. Whatever mommy and daddy tell them, even in the moment they don't like it, they don't question that it's right. We, we when we look at Scripture, we're trying to figure out, oh... What does this mean to me? How does this relate to me? And some of us are looking at scripture going, how can I pry out of nothing there something that makes me look smart and important? That's not how children are. Children don't carry that level of pride. They just want to know, what, they just want to know the truth. Mommy, how do I turn on the lights? Like this. They don't go, oh... Well, that doesn't make sense. Can I turn on the light by turning on this switch over here? It looks the same. No, they just trust you. They just believe you. It's the light. And something else that children have, and I'm not against deep theology. I I like it. I talk about it. But children are simple. They don't need complicated. They don't need something mysterious to make them feel important. They'll take things at face value. That's what we are called... To be like. Let me, let me tell you another story. When I was about 15, I ha- didn't ha- quite have my driver's license. I remember that because I drove a lot of roads and was always looking in my mirror. But I worked for a, a local farmer over here by Shell City. And I worked for him for several years. And one of the first projects I had, I mean, was just a couple of days into to working with him. He had a fence that he had started. And my job was, the, the, the wires were already run, it was a, a wooden post fence, the posts were already in the ground. What I had to do was go back and take the little uh, clips, not clips, but they were staples, and hammer those staples in. And boy, you learned to use a pair of pliers to hold it rather than your finger. That took me a little while, but I, I, I got it. It was worth getting that. Well, one day, I worked on that for about two or three days. And it was pretty early in the day, I had finished all the stapling of that fence. And my boss was, at the time, was running some errand out of town, so he wasn't around. And we didn't have cell phones back then. So there was another leg of fence that we got to the end of where I was at, then it took a right-hand turn and went on down again. And it was in a very infant stage. A few posts there and things of that nature. So I had to make a decision. First, First battle I had to fight was, oh, I can go home. Well, that wasn't the best choice, so I chose not to go home. But after that, I had to make a choice, and that was, I need to continue on with this fence. I don't really know how to build fence. This is literally the first barbed wire fence that I had interacted with. Now, if I had experience, I would have probably went on and built the fence my way. But I I got lucky. I didn't have any experience. And sometimes I think that's where we need to be when we approach Scripture. We don't go in there going, oh, I know all about this. 
And that's exactly what I'm going to get out of it, everything that I know about it. So what did I do to build this fence, to continue on my project? I went back to the original fence that my boss had built. All I did was put clips in it. And I measured it, the space between the wires. I saw how he, he twisted it around the post. I mimicked it to the best of my ability. And when he came back and looked at it, he said, hey, you're on the right track. Because my mind was blank. Because I was willing to say, however you did it was the way I want to do it. Are we doing that with Christ? Are we okay with saying, Jesus wants it this way? Jesus wants me not to drink. Jesus wants me to do this and to do that, even though I don't want to do it. Are we good enough with that? That's the key. If you want unity, that's the key. Romans chapter 14. It's a principle I think is misused a lot. Romans chapter 14, verse number 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, the other esteemeth every day alike. Now that's not a call to saying, oh, well, it doesn't matter what day we go to church because we get to choose. Not what it means. I'm going to show that here in a second. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. He that giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not. And giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. He bought with a price. You're not a freebie. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So what does it mean, be fully persuaded? Now, just like Jesus, we've reduced that to my opinion. But if you, read the, if you listened to what was say, being said there, it was all about to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. Our persuasion isn't what we think. Our persuasion is, is we are fully persuaded that this is what God wants. Now, we're not going to get a good answer if we've reduced Jesus to my buddy. Well, he don't care whether I do that or not. He's my bro. Every time I crack that beer that I'm only going to drink one of, right, right, okay. I'm drinking with Jesus. I can't tell you how many people that I know that were fully persuaded that were battling with a guilty conscience. Why are you guilty? Why are you so defensive when I mention a sin if you're fully persuaded that Jesus is watching porn with you? That's a good one. It makes me sick to talk like that. But that's where we come with our relationship with Christ. It's disgusting. We've lost what Christ has done. 
We've lost what Christ represents in our lives. We become saved. I, scripture says that if you don't keep his commandments and you know Jesus, it's like I walk on the job site and say, hey, I know welding. Then they put a test in front of me. Oh, whoops. Fell on the ground. I'm a liar. Okay, maybe I'm not as good a welder as I thought. <laughs> well, my dad said I was a good welder. Let's be fully persuaded in Christ. Let's have the obedient heart, the desire to truly know what God wants. If you have, and let me, I'll, I'll go a, little, I'll go a step further. To be fully persuaded means that if you have doubt, you don't do it. All right, not picking on the on the drinkers, but if there is one ounce of doubt, then maybe that's not the best thing for me to do. I shouldn't do it. And I'm going to be, I'm going to go another step. Again, I, I started this out with a you know I had no axe to grind, so you can't be mad at me. But if you're defending alcohol, you've already admitted you got a problem, and so many other sins. That's not the only one. When you're trying to figure out, oh, well, pornography is not as bad as actually doing it. Yeah, it is. Sorry. It is. It's an issue. If there is a doubt, one little spot that I might have it wrong, then don't do it. And if you can't not do it, again, that's a sign you've got an issue. And I'm not against those who have issue. Some of us got some real addiction issues that we're working on, and that is a different person. Someone who goes to bed every night in tears going, Lord, I'm trying so hard to get past this, and I can't. That's not the guy I'm talking about. I'm talking about the guy that goes to bed at night and says, Hey, buddy, we had a good day today. Boy, there's some good-looking girls. Yeah. You don't want that relationship with Christ because it's not real. That's John. That's First John chapter two. You are a liar if you think that that is how you know Christ. That's not who Christ is. You don't know who He is. Let me give you some examples, if I could, of examples that Christ gave us to have a obedient attitude. Example number one. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse number 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the customs of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, they returned. The child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they supposed him to have been in the company went a day's journey, and they sought him among his, their kinfolks and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass after three days. It's a long time to miss your 12-year-old son. Amen. came to pass after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both learning them, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. 
And when they, the parents, saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, now their amazement was, is, why are you here and not with us? They were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, she's probably very, 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 very upset with fear and pain. Why have you dealt this way with us? Your father has sought, father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Now this gives us a little example of Jesus' understanding of earthly authorities. Now Jesus is doing his father's business. So he, he was in obedience to his father in heaven. Now, when Mary and Joseph showed up, and they're very upset and emotional, he could have been like, calm down. I'm working for my father. You're going to have to just take a step back, give me a little space. I've got some work to do. There's three more answers over here I have yet to give a good answer to. I'll be out in a minute. Was that what Jesus did? No, he said he was subject to them. He was obedient to his earthly parents. He followed them out. He left. He, he, he took what was probably the most important thing that he could be doing. I can't imagine that at 12 years old. Mine was building a fort and getting that rabbit in the backyard taken care of. It took several months. But Jesus was under, a, he had a heart of obedience. He wanted to obey his parents. And he did. How obedient are we to our earthly authorities? How many of us use, you know, I, I heard someone say one time that, that breaking the law was the way that he could best serve God. Is that really a heart of obedience? No, he had, he had an agenda. And he could have done it by, by obeying God too. But I guess that's not an earthly, earthly obedience. But how many of us are, don't even want to come to church? Well, I don't agree with the church time. I like 10.30 better than 9.30. I do too. But that's not the time they said it. So we need to be there. Children, that's pretty obvious. Honor your parents. How many of you are willing to really just obey your parents? I'm talking to teenagers here. I've got teenagers now, so I'm, I'm dealing with this intimately. Just obey us. It doesn't matter if we're right or wrong. In the end, you'll be blessed for it. But having that heart attitude, taking Jesus took something that probably didn't look very important in his life, and he said it didn't matter. These are my authority figures. I'm going to follow them. Having a heart to, to obedience. All right, let's look at another example. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Then come Jesus, I'm in verse number 13, sorry. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized. This is John the Baptist. To be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, 
I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went straight away out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now Jesus, look at this from our perspective, Jesus was the big dog, and John the Baptist was not the big dog. And John the Baptist clearly recognized this. He's like, why are you asking me to be baptized? You need to baptize me. But here's what I want you to see from Jesus. We, we could learn a lot from John the Baptist here too. Remember, John the Baptist, his entire ministry was number two guy. He was always in the shadow of somebody else. But that's not who we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Jesus. Jesus wanted to be obedient to something that, all, at least from John the Baptist's eyes, seemed like a ridiculous thing for him to do. Why are you being baptized? You should be the baptizer. You're the son of God. You're the sinless sacrifice. You're the Messiah. And Jesus could have had that same attitude. Well, you're right. You know, I'm the biggest thing, on, I'm the biggest thing that's happened since sliced bread. And I don't know if sliced bread existed back then or not. Torn bread. That's the biggest thing since torn bread. But Jesus was obedient. I'm, baptism is not a frivolous thing. But I wanna, I'm going to use that word. That Jesus was obedient to things that maybe don't seem all that important to us. He didn't sit there and bicker about what the order was. Well, let's sit down, John, and work this out. Should you baptize me or should I baptize you? No, Jesus knew that, that he should be baptized. And he was obedient to that. Now, apply that to us. How many of us are, are worried about, take baptism since we're talking about it. When do we baptize? Young, youth, old, when we receive, when we don't. You know, this idea that we should be baptized when we receive, when we receive Christ. You know how many people I know that said they'd received Christ and hadn't? So if that is the argument that you're using against child baptism is we have to believe first. I'm telling you, there are a bunch of believers out there that aren't believers, and they're baptized. I guess we're going to have to get baptized again and again and again and again. Hopefully we get it right at the end. Here, here's what it's... I'm just going to boil it down for you. It's, it's, in, it's, on, it's in your hands. You have to make the decision. But plain and simple. The Bible says, Jesus says, you must believe and be baptized. It doesn't have a time restraint on it. That kind of opens the door up a little bit. So whenever a door is open, we have two choices. We can be as a child, accept it at face value, or we can be as, you know, this big intelligent and I have to have, you know, some respect. I'm going to build some doctrine that's big and complicated and I've got a verse that kind of fits there and it kind of fits over there. and I can't get anyone to agree with me, but that doesn't matter. That makes me more special. But as a child says, oh, I've got to be baptized. Okay, as a parent, do I want my child to go to heaven if it gets in a car wreck today? Yeah, I do. Maybe I should just go ahead and baptize them. I mean, that's simple. If it's the requirement and I want my child into heaven, 
Well, then maybe I should just go ahead and do what Jesus said. But no, that's not good enough. I got I to gotta ask the question, oh, what about this? What about that? Well, that's fine. You want to study that, but first act as a child. I'm going to throw the switch like mommy said. I'm going to turn it on. I'm not going to go over here and worry about these other switches until I get the lights on. Then if I want to go worry about what these other switches do, that's fine. But first, let's be obedient and just turn the switch on. So I thought my, my sermon's about today, but it's just an example of how we will argue and bicker about things we don't need to. And it's, 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 let's just take the simple road. And what you'll find is the simple road, baptism. Would you just going to baptize as soon as you can? Alcohol, the simple road is just don't drink it. Alcohol and food are not the same thing. The struggle with gluttony is, is taking something you have to have and keep it in the proper healthy perspective. Alcohol is taking something that I don't have to have at all and keep it in the proper perspective. Hopefully you can see the difference. Church attendance would be another example of our struggle. Well, I'm saved. You know, I go some. Is it really important? <laughs> you don't be like a child. I challenge you. Ask a child. Is it important to go to church? Now, when they become teenagers, they're going to start answering like their parents. <laughs> so you're not going to get a good answer. So if you've got a teenager who has parents who don't go to church, they're going to have all kinds of excuses. Some of the excuses may not even be their parents. Some of the excuses may be what they came up with to justify the behavior of their, of their parents. Do we really want to put that responsibility on our kids? Having them having to make excuses? Being in fear? Because, you know, you always have that one guy in your church that's going to come up and ask you, Hey, <laughs> where's your mom at? Where's your dad at? Hey, Nathan, <laughs> you weren't here last week. You all right? Now, to a teenager, that's a fearful thing. Oh, my God, here, here comes that guy. And he's going to ask me where dad is. Don't do that to your kids. Peacekeeping. Just do it. There's the two, the two types of people. You know, these. I'm black and white. I'm working on it. I don't, I don't like gray areas. It doesn't mean I can't live there. I just don't like them. But there's really only two ways in obedience. You're either not going to do it or you're going to do it. This argument about Sunday and Saturday, it, 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 it's gotten out of control. I mean, like I said, people are now saying Jesus broke the Sabbath in order for them to break the Sabbath. If you want to go to church on Sunday, that's fine. But don't stand behind a pulpit and teach the law because you're not keeping the Sabbath. You're keeping Sunday. Great day. I don't care if you keep Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. There's some believers you should go to church every day. Do it. Make sure you get the Sabbath, though. Make sure you get the Sabbath. Let's move on. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Start in verse number 1. And Jesus was led up in the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he was fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he afterwards was unhungered. And when, and I, this is important that we get this, this timeline, Jesus was 40 days, then he was hungered, then this event come. And when the tempter came unto him, oh boy, I'm tempted to go down another trail here. I'm not, I don't have much time. The tempter, Satan, the little angel, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. 
who we're talking about here. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up in the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again the devil take him up an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, the him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And he saith unto Jesus, or, And then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou, hast worship, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. So quickly, I want to look at the, the three basic temptations that Jesus had. He had a temptation to turn bread into stone. This is our temptation. We're, we're, we learn from this, that we are tempted in our carnal nature. Jesus was tempted in his physical body. He was hungry. And Satan knew he had the power to get food at any moment. He wasn't done with his fast. And again, that wasn't how Jesus was supposed to get his food. But for us, when we're tempted in our, our carnal nature, and we turn it into, well, this is just my physical drive. This is just how I was made. Jesus said no. Jesus had a heart to obey. And he didn't give in to that temptation. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But I want to see that, that Jesus was able... He's our example. He, was, he, he chose not to go with his feelings, his physical feelings, and to go with what was right, what was written. Secondary, he was, he was tested. It was the jump from the temple to prove that he was who he said he was. Come on, Jesus. Are you sure you, you believe what, you, what you're saying? Show me, show me. How many of us push God to the limit? I'm going to jump off this temple and I'm going to show you, even though I know I shouldn't do that. That's what he was being tempted of. Now, I don't know how, how much that one really stuck with Jesus, but I can see it sticking with us. Oh, well, I, you know, I, I've been doing this for forever. And I'm still, I know I'm, well, I'm not going to do that. I've picked on you guys enough, so I'm not going to do that. But some have, have had an issue in their lives. And they look at that and they say, yeah, I know that's not perfect, but God's still blessing me. That goes back to a verse that Paul says that we are not to uh, sin, lest grace shall abound. God forbid. I understand that little statement there, grace may abound. What he was dealing with was a bunch of people that are going around saying, you know what, the more I sin, the more grace I get. That's kind of like driving around in a truck saying, the longer I drive, the more gas I get. And Pastor, God forbid that that's how we treat grace. Grace is when I do something on accident or I'm in a struggle for my life to get through a sin. 
and it's not working out as quickly as everyone else around me might think it should, but I'm struggling. Grace is poured out for that. But this guy that goes to the store and buys a pack of cigarettes with lung cancer and says, I don't understand why I'm dying. Well, God will give me grace. Stands up and gives a testimony. God's given me grace. I'm so grateful that I have one more day. It's all because of God. I'm dying because of me. How far do we push God? How far down the road are we willing to kick our sin because we think, oh, well, God blessed me. Remember, I'm, I'm going to say this. There's a lot of us that aren't as blessed as much as we think we are just because we just don't know any better. Try getting rid of some of your sins. Try working on them. Try having a heart of obedience and see if you don't get a different type of blessing in your life. You might like it better than the blessing that you have. And I admit some of my analogies here today may not be the best, so don't take them too far. The third area. He was taken up to a high place and was shown all this land, the whole world, and said, you worship me, I'll have that. For us, that's not likely to happen. That's not going to be the temptation that comes to us. What's going to come to us is Satan will, will lay out and say, hey, give in to me and I'll give you the pleasures of the world. I'll give you all the enjoyment that this world has to offer. Jesus understood the big picture. We need to understand the big picture. Jesus was living for the kingdom of God. So being ruler over the earth wasn't, I'm not saying that he wasn't in his manhood, wasn't tempted by that a little bit, but he chose to be obedient to God for the big picture. See, and the problem with the, being obedient to God to the big picture, this is where our struggle is, not an excuse, but our struggle is, we interact with this world. When I'm hungry and I have my favorite food, it's just natural that I want to eat that. Now, apply that to something that's inappropriate. I want it now. Well, yeah, I get it. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. But that's later. I really can't taste, feel, and touch that. I have to believe that it's true which comes back to the heart. See, if we only operate on the literal keeping of the law, not having an actual heart that wants to be obedient, what's happening in the world is always going to pull us in. The only way to let go of that, that's a good thing to practice. Well, I'll practice keeping that law. I'll practice keeping that one. But if you don't have the heart, eventually it will fail. Eventually, you'll have a weak day. But your weak days come few and far between when you want to be obedient. When you go, oh, oh, but I'm going to feel so bad later. I just love Jesus. That's what he wants. I won't do that. I'm going to look for the kingdom of God. All right, and in closing, one last set of verses. And I think this is the most important. <clears throat> Let's turn to, uh, to Luke. Luke chapter 22. And he came out. This is Jesus in the garden. And he came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray, ye, enter, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Temptation here is not some sort of sin issue. 
Jesus understood that something bad was going down real soon. And so what he was literally, and this is important we understand what he was telling his disciples. He was telling his disciples, please do not sleep. We have this in another witness. Stay awake, pray that we enter not into tribulation. Temptation, tribulation, a bad time. He knew that something bad was going to happen. And so Jesus was somewhat already guarding against it. He's like, oh, maybe if we can see this coming, we might get, a, get out of it somehow. Pray in and on the temptation. And he was withdrawn with, from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. So this shows us that what's about to happen with Christ was not a small thing even to Christ. We don't really know about in the, in the wilderness there what he was dealing with. But we know here for sure that he was, he was dealing with some big things. And if we read on, we'll find that his stress was so bad that he was sweating droplets of blood. But the quote I want you to get is that he said, May this cup be removed from me. Nevertheless, this is where Jesus' heart was at. Not my will, but thine will be done. This is the obedience of self-sacrifice. How many of us could learn from Jesus? What are we willing to give up? If you have the right heart for obedience, you'd be surprised what you'd be willing to do for others. You'd be surprised if we had the right heart attitude for obedience, how, many, how less problems we'd have with our spouses. And in closing, last verse, and I'm done. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself in him. Let us have a heart. Let the words that we say, I love Jesus, be true. By be willing to give up the pleasures of this world. Willing to give up the ego of my heart, willing to give up, give it all, and lay it at the cross. Yes. And let us walk with a heart to obey Christ. In Christ's name I pray, I thank you, and may uh, you have a wonderful day.